it'll be nice to be able to finish just chapter 6 today uh, where we've come so far Jesus in self-imposed exile in Galilee he's had about a seven month period of very uh, successful ministry outwardly daily miracles um, healings casting out of demons great success has been met with um, there's a bit of a worm in the faith of the Galileans they believed in him when they were seeing the works he was doing and but this wasn't any news to Jesus and he was the Passover meal he, he provided a kind of parallel Passover it was Passover time he couldn't go to Jerusalem they were out to kill him and he saw the people coming to him, he tried to escape, and you remember the feeding of 5,000 men, what, 10, 15, 20,000 people? Remember Mitchell? And he had this kind of parallel Passover that the Father provided. And he said, really, and they were really careful about what the Father had given. And they gathered up that nothing be lost. And we have that phrase recurring later. And the Father, um, of all that the Father gives me, I should lose nothing. He's going to gather up all the ones that the Father gives. So he doesn't treat anything the Father gives him lightly. And the thing about the Passover meal was that he saw in it... See, this was only... How long do you think? How long do you think this was before his crucifixion? These events, this Passover during which the 5,000 were fed. Yeah, it was just 12 months. It was just 12 months before the offering of the Son. Um, before the offering of God's Lamb for the life of the world. And I think we can understand that the Lord had this in view. He could see the way things were going. He knew that he, was, he had come to be offered. And this is the context. So, um, and he, so he, be, he began to check them. He had this great success. And when, it, when they saw it, they actually tried to kidnap him. And he had to step back, go up a mountain. He said to disciples, send them away. And disciples, you go back. I'll meet you back there. Or there was, it looks like they were going to meet on the way. And some of them didn't go. Some of them were so keen, perhaps the ones that were going to kidnap him and take him to Jerusalem and make him king, they didn't go. And they were there the next day and they went back and they followed him to Capernaum. Uh, so there were some zealots there. Now if you do the sums, apparently, the next day, because that was the day before the, Sab- the, day before the Passover, was one of the synagogue meeting days. So what? So it was a full synagogue. We had all the locals from Capernaum in the synagogue, because it was synagogue day, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, and the hangers-on. The place, I suppose, would have been heaving. In addition to that, there's this the fame that this uh, Messiah, they thought it was a Messiah in their own terms, had produced among the, among the people there. So that's where we are. So this heaving synagogue, full of folk with so many of them, with a, a mix, a carnal expectation of what the Messiah should do. And Jesus had to pour cold water on it. He couldn't have the, his kingdom, his church, his people on earth, get mixed up and get sucked in to the Jewish nationalistic 
carnal Messiah thing. So he had to keep uh, fighting and purifying the people. And so that's where we are. And so he raises the conversation from bread. He says, guys, don't you go looking for... You're only, you're only interested in me because you had bread to eat and your bellies are full. Now look, chap, you should be looking for some other kind of bread, for the real thing that's going to give you eternal life. You weren't, su- you weren't supposed to think about bread. You were supposed to take the bread and see in it the sign that God wants to give you life. So he checks them. And then he starts to raise the conversation from bread for your belly. And they said, oh, Moses this. He said, Moses didn't give you bread out of heaven. That was just something that went in your tummy. That wasn't bread out of heaven. I'm the bread that comes out of heaven. Tick, tick, tick. And he starts saying, you don't believe. What they were making a fuss. He said, yes we do, we within you're great. And he says, you don't believe. Only the people that the Father is giving me can believe. And I might just revise that. Verse 44 of chapter 6. So he, he said things like this. Verse 42, isn't this Jesus, Joseph's son? We know this, his father and his mother, don't we? How can he say, I came down out of heaven? Verse 44, no one can come unto me. The reason you don't know, the reason you can't believe is that you can't come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Ah, they they didn't have the right preparation. That is, at that stage, their responses to the overtures of grace in their heart hadn't readied them to receive Jesus. And I'll raise them up the last day. Verse 45, it's written the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Now, everyone who listens to what comes from the Father and learns from it, <laughs> uh, you know, how, how relevant is that? You haven't just got to listen, you've got to learn from it. So listen and receive and do. Listen and agree and let it rule you. Aha, now you're getting somewhere. Listen, ah, oh, the devils listen and they tremble. There, they won't have it. The devils believe and tremble. Everyone who listens to what comes from the Father and learns from it. Remember the Lord used to say things like that? Let these words sink down into your ears. Do you remember that phrase? Uh, Take some notice, let it go into you, and take a grip and change you. So, it's it's not a free for all. It's uh, it is whosoever will may come, but they've got to come on God's terms, in God's way, obeying Him, bowing the knee, and letting the Word of Christ dwell in them richly, to rule, dominate, and give life. So that's kind of where we were, and so he elevated the thing from bread to bread that comes from God that's going to give you life. It's me, you've got to eat me, you've got to drink me. And the reason we we thought about the, the metaphor, it wasn't just about their faith. That would just be about, well, just meditate upon me, just receive me, or just believe me. But it wasn't, it was about more than that. That the reason he used this um, metaphor was that there had to be an actual reception of that which is divine. On their part, to believe 
in him on their part to believe in his um, violent death as efficacious for them but also that was the trigger for the father to do his part which was to pour into them the life of God by the Holy Ghost the, and, to, and to grant them forgiveness on the basis of the sacrifice of Lord Jesus uh, now, and so the conversation had moved from the material to the spiritual are we okay? do you need our help? Do you need our help at home? Is it the fire? No, no, it's just this car. I think my car's in the way, but it's alright. Oh, alright. <clears throat> so, the Lord was talking about the things of God, and there are some folk there, they just didn't get off base one, they didn't understand. Okay. And so, here we have verse 59, and so that's our kind of background. Verse 59, he said these things while he was teaching in a full synagogue in Capernaum. They were so important and so solemn, John was kind of marking the occasion. Uh, Verse 60, when they heard this, many of Jesus' disciples said, this is difficult stuff, who can bear to listen to it? This is Tom Wright again. And... I just wanted to remind us of this concept of disciples, because there were different um, nearnesses of disciples. Uh, there's only one word, it's, the, it's the, the learner, the person who attaches themselves and hears and is instructed by the, 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 the teacher. Um, and just before this, if you read in Luke 6, just before these events, Jesus had spent the whole night and there's a, a phrase that occurs nowhere else in the New Testament in the prayer of God we might, we might turn to it, let's turn to Luke 6 I just want to think about this concept of the disciples and who it was that were so if you could turn to Luke 6 please we come across these disciples because it wasn't just the twelve this word disciples Jews of lots of people who'd, who'd left everything and they were following him, they were sticking to him and there was this general ripple yeah, he's the Messiah so in Luke 6 we have this and it happened around 6.12, it happened around that time that Jesus went up into the mountain to pray and he spent all night and the phrase is literally in the prayer of God um, in communion, he wasn't making requests, but in the prayer of God, in His presence, um, with Him, with the Father. When He came, when they came, He called His disciples. So it's, it seems evident to us that the Lord had contemplated and meditated out of all these people who were adhering to him, the ones that he was going to make leaders in the embryonic church and his apostles um, and, the, and, and we've learnt from Jesus' lips the secret of how he did things, he wasn't a clever man, 
and he would have been a brilliant man. But he wasn't trading on and operating on his cleverness and his ability. He says, I do the things that the Father shows me. The Father shows me what to do. I speak the things the Father tells me. And so we must understand that in that light of being in the prayer of God, he was communing with the Father and discovering from him his direction as to who should be the apostles. The apostles. Um, the ones who were to take the lead in the embryonic church. And he called the disciples, all this mob to them, all the lots of different people, all variety of folk. And he named the apostles, the twelve. And he chose twelve of them, calling them apostles, sent ones. Uh, and then you'll know he sent them out, and they had. He said, "Go out and say the kingdom of God's at hand." You know, go out um, and go to this city and rest in one place. Don't take purse nor script for the journey. Don't take extra shoes. Just go there and enjoy their hospitality and say the kingdom of God has come come near you. Heal their sick. And go on to the next place. You remember all that story. And they came back and they were thrilled. And then later, in verse 10, oh sorry, in, in Luke 10, we read the same thing here. So that was the 12 went out as ministers. But don't forget, they weren't the only ones. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1, after this, the Master commissioned 70 others and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he was intending to go. There's a great harvest out there, he said to them, but there aren't many workers, and so on. So look, they were all disciples. It was a wide net. There were the twelve apostles, there were another seventy sort of extra ministers, as it were, and then there were all these other folk. And Jesus could perceive. I mean, even in his own disciples, there was unbelief, which had to be purified from them. And that was the great thing, that that the faith began as a seed, and the question was, was it going to develop to fruition and full faith, as in the few? And we have Thomas falling down in chapter 21 of this Gospel, and making that ultimate confession He said he worshipped Jesus as God. Thou art my Lord and my God. Now that's never been said before. They said you're Messiah. But for Thomas, the penny had dropped. And we have at his mouth the confession of the divinity of Jesus. So faith was embryonic in these people. It was mixed. They had all sorts of weird ideas. And as they went... Day by day, the challenge came, were they going to be loyal to themselves, their own prejudices, their own preconceptions, their own souls, or were they going to uh, be loyal to Jesus? And every day, every day, but day by day, there was the choice. And Jesus said things like, take up your, if you don't take up your cross daily and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Um, In other words, at the cross, my natural eye is challenged. Uh, And I have to relinquish that and say, Lord, you're more important than my preference. You're more important than what I know. You're more important than protecting my soul. We have that in chapter 12. If If you love your life, oh no, I don't touch my life. I love it. 
the things that make me tick, the things that get me through the day, the things that I live for, I love it, don't touch it. If you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, Lord, all the things that I thought I needed, I give them up. I must have you. You'll keep it unto life eternal. So, for the disciples, there was always this choice of refinement. And Jesus was putting in the fires, or putting in the sword amongst this mixed gathering. They're all mixed up with messianic nuttiness and uh, stuff that just wasn't spiritual. And in the face of spirituality, they were misunderstanding it. And you'll see what happens next. This is too tough for us. Eating his flesh, drinking his blood. So they were understand. They were misunderstanding what he was talking about. So I just wanted to point that out about the disciples because at the end we read in verse seventy-one of our chapter that, of course, Jesus alludes to the fact that one of the people he chose, he knew, was going to betray him. So I suppose that we we must understand that Jesus, sure, he knew it. But there must have been that series of opportunities for Judas too to choose obedience versus self. But ultimately, he ended up choosing his own life. My ideas of messianic nationalism. Don't you? And and his pride. I'm not going to have this Christ and his low way and his spiritual stuff. I've got all my eggs in this basket of a a resurgent and preeminent Jewish nation among whom I shall be a chief. But I think we must understand that there must have been opportunity for Judas to, like the other disciples, um, let the cross work in him and for him to say yes Lord I, I relinquish what I have, I relinquish what I was I relinquish what I thought and my soul that I so loved and all my aspirations based on carnality and my natural me I relinquish them that I might have you and be obedient to you that's what Jesus did every day of the life he's going to take up your cross like I take up my cross, my life isn't about me it's about obeying the Father Judas, your life isn't supposed to be about you and your prejudices and, and your uh, elevation and ambition, it's supposed to be about pleasing the Father hey guys, that's the first commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart. And, if you, and, and as you walk step by step and discover that what you imagine was it was to be a human being isn't, you just need to change. Don't love it. No, get out of here. This is, this is, what I, this is how I live. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Brit. This is how things are done. And don't you try and change my Britishness. Uh, or I'm an Aussie. Or I'm a Chinese one. Or I'm a this or that. I'm a, don't you try and change that. This is precious to me. We're lost. He said, if you, if you act like that, you'll lose your life. Uh, it actually becomes very exciting. We, we, we cease to become uh, the product of the formative influences, the, this little niche and that little niche, and we start to be released from that to become a full human being. Now, actually, being a human being isn't being black or white or red or yellow. It's not being a, a Westerner or an Easterner. It's being someone who walks with Jesus. <laughs> and we start, and we need to learn, and the disciples are being invited to learn that. So, I just wanted to mention that as we read this word disciples, that there's all this going on. And Jesus is putting in the sword here and saying, choose. And of course, many of them we discover. Didn't go back. Didn't go on anymore. 
So if we go back to our chapter, uh, please, chapter 6. And where here we go, here we go. When they heard this, verse 60, many of Jesus' disciples said, this is difficult stuff, who can bear to listen to it? Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, broad, broad group, were grumbling about what he said. Does this put you off? He said, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So if they were put off by the idea of eating his flesh, and drink, how can he give us his body to eat? They didn't see through it. Okay, he said, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Going back to the Father, could you eat his flesh then? No, he's not there. Could you drink his blood then? No. Oh, perhaps... You know, you're misunderstanding it. That's not what I was talking about. And just a word about our Roman Catholic brethren, they've sort of fallen into that trap. They say, well, oh yeah, well actually, we could have that little bit of wafer, and that will give us life. And they make a physical act, the, uh, they make salvation depend on a physical act and a physical thing. A little bit of wafer, and sometimes, if you take communion in two kinds, um, some wine. Very often they just have the wafer. But if you read what Jesus says next, it completely, uh, it, it really resists that. So they've made, they, they sort of, anyway, they, they've turned it all upside down. And, and, we, and I think we need to part company with our Roman Catholic brethren at that point when they say that salvation depends on doing this in your mouth and drinking that in your mouth. Ah, oh, now you're saved. Mate, Jesus... Uh, resists that concept everything he said made salvation spiritual um, the result of faith, the result of heart interaction with the eternal father by the eternal spirit and it's exactly what we have next if we read um, so, does this put you off? what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? No way you can eat my flesh and drink my blood in the way that you're thinking. Ninkambu. Well, he didn't say Ninkambu, but you, no way you could th- eat like that. He's go- I'm going out to be with my father. Would that help? And then he says this to clarify it's the spirit that gives life. Now, look, they were Jews. They'd been told that if you do these things, you shall, if you keep the law, if you do these things, you shall live. Well, they couldn't do them, and they were dead. Right? So, it wasn't, so external acts, eating the flesh of the Paschal, Paschal lamb, might have saved the nation in God's economy at that time, but it didn't bring eternal life into the inner man of the Jews that ate the lamb. And Jesus wasn't about making the nation of Israel, he was about bringing eternal life into the hearts of every kind of man and woman. And he said, look guys, it's not about external things. Um, It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help. Are you listening, my uh, dear RC brethren? Okay, it's no help. 
if we want the things of God it's got to come from God by the Holy Ghost it's the Spirit that gives life and then then he goes on to explain that his words are an incarnation of the Holy Ghost the words that I speak to you they are spirit and life not flesh um, so, and, and that's a really important theme for us to consider at some stage that the words that Jesus speaks are an incarnation they possess the substance of the Holy Ghost so that as we open our hearts to the words of Jesus God can get into our hearts because the words that I speak are spirit and life. And so we got things like this. I, I, I know I've often referred to it, but in chapter 17, Jesus prayed, And neither pray I only for these twelve, I pray also for all those that will believe on me. And the, the last part of that phrase is, the last phrase in that sentence is, through their word. How did faith get into hearts? By hearing. And how does hearing happen? By the word of Christ. Faith comes, Romans 10. Faith comes, how do I get faith? No, faith isn't just what you believe. No, no, no. Yes, you've got to believe. But faith is a gift of God. Ephesians. By grace you are saved, by by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Well, how do I get this gift? Well, the Bible tells us. Faith comes by hearing. The word of Christ. The, the word that I speak unto you is spirit and life. And, and all the time in Jesus' um, speech and in everything he says, and, and Paul, the great expositor of Jesus, the great explainer of Jesus, the one who developed the, 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 the thoughts of Jesus, the, the, the things of Jesus, into a broader understanding for us. It's always about... Um, the impartation of the divine into our human heart. Um, it's the spirit that gives life. How do I get this spirit? How do I get this faith? Through receiving the Holy Ghost incarnated in the word of Christ. So that when the disciples went out, they were to speak the word of Jesus. And you and I as well. Out of their bellies, next chapter, shall flow rivers of living water. That's right. So that we speak out the truth of Jesus and incarnated in our words. Is the Holy Ghost. So that this brother and that brother and that person has the opportunity to drink in God through the confession, our holy confession of Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, You know, you've got that in Romans, where was I looking? We said that. Oh, yeah. Look, let's just have a quick look at uh, 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, try and keep it together, Collins. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Can we read a few verses? Okay. If we, if we go from verse 16, I'm not doing very well here. I mean, 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. We'll just cut straight in. From this moment on, therefore, we don't regard anyone from a merely human point of view. Even if we once regarded the Messiah that way, we don't do so any longer. We don't know him just 
as a man and a body. Thus, if anyone is in the Messiah, there's a new creation. Old things have gone. And look, everything's become new. It all comes from God. He reconciled us to himself through the Messiah and put in us, I'm just going to change, Tom's great, but here's the literal thing, he has put in us the word of reconciliation. Yep, he has put, that's the literal there, he has put in us the word of reconciliation. So what Jesus spake, the, word that I, the words that I speak under your spirit and life, he's put it in us. He's put in us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, the word of reconciliation, verse 19, this is how it came about. God was reconciling the world to himself in the Messiah, not counting their transgressions against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Do you see the emphasis on the word? Always the word and the spirit. The Holy Ghost gets in the men and women's hearts by the confession and the preaching of the gospel. It's just how God works. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Verse 20. So we are ambassadors, says Paul, speaking on behalf of the Messiah... Come on, we need to, let's, let's us enter into this in our measure. So that when we go out into the world, that we're ambassadors. We, we let the Holy Ghost actuate us. We let the Holy Ghost make alive the things of God to us so that we can confess them livingly. And we too can be ambassadors uh, speaking on behalf of the King, Messiah, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, we implore people on the Messiah's behalf. Okay, he, he is working through our work. We implore people on Messiah's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you, do you see the continuity there? The, the, uh, the words that, Jesus, that I speak to you are spirit and life. And if anyone else becomes a believer, it's because of the word of Christ that came out of the the, the mouths of the apostles. It's recorded in the New Testament for us. Uh, We we must live in these things ourselves in our measure. Alright, we're not a Paul. But in our measure, we too are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, so that in season and out of season what we articulate, that we too give voice to the incarnate Holy Ghost. Well, that sounds weird. Well, I'm not the only one. In fact, I'm not the one at all. I'm only saying what Jesus said. I wouldn't say, I gave up trying to think of something original to say years ago. Thank God for that. Lord, thank you. Gave up trying to think of anything original. I just simply want to be a decent, proper listener to Jesus. And he said... Out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. That means you and I have got to speak the word of God, incarnating the Holy Ghost. Same, same. You see the continuity? It's all really the same thing um, that we receive from the Father, and what the Father gives us flows out from us, and so that we in Christ's stead beseech you be reconciled to God. Uh, it's 
Okay. So we'll just finish off our chapter and be glad. <laughs> we will be. Uh, we're in John chapter 6, having just returned from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay. 63. It's the Spirit that gives life. You know, I work... Sorry. It's very interesting to me to observe close up, on the inside, the Islam thing working. I started a new job at a new school, Islamic school. Um, it's the law. It's really like Judaism. Um, they've got to do the right thing. But there's no life in the law. Uh, it's really interesting. I'm thrilled to meet folk that seem to have a love for God in some measure. Some folk don't care. Some folk are acting. Some folk don't care. But there are folk that I've met already that uh, in their understanding of the things of God love God. And actually it's a thrill. I think, oh Lord, thank you. He really cares about you. He might be blinded, but so you think, oh, it's, 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 it's very challenging for me to try and make sense. I, I've never lived in close proximity with Islam before. So I got the inside story, and it's very exercising. Um, and I'm very thrilled. But isn't it thrill us when we find folk who love the Lord? Anyway, so watch this space. I don't know whether they're going to chop my head off or how we'll go. <laughs> I've already gotten the shocking trouble. What are the little boys in year eight said? Uh, Brother, they call me brother. It's this charming, brother Barclay. So, brother, <laughs> little boy from Africa. Brother, what do you call God? What name do you use? I said, I, God is too great to be encompassed by just a name. They have 99 names. They, they sing them, they recite them every day. All of them we could use, actually. I mean, I think God the accountant is perhaps slightly unusual, but it's not wrong. Um, but, so, you know, there's this... <laughs> Um, and so I sort of try to back off oh, I, I, God is far greater than just a name he can't be comprehended by name they have 99 yes brother but what do you call God Because, uh, and I, be, I realised later because I spoke to their RE teacher why it's so important so I, oh no I'm cornered here <laughs> so I said well uh, the prophet Jesus although he to us is much more than a prophet he is a prophet he spake forth the word of God so we got that common ground because they accept the prophet Jesus and um, the prophet Jesus when he prayed often called God Father of course that's a shocking thing to them and, they, uh, and so I, I often call God Father but he's much greater than just an and there was uproar, because that's one of the big things. He has not got any children, he can't have any children. I said, no, not father in the sense of we have children, but father in the sense that he made us and he cares for us. It's very interesting. See, um, anyway, why did I say that? Oh yes, because I'm already getting into trouble. But I think I got, got away with it there. Um, I talked to the imam chap, and he, not the, his RE teacher, nice young man, loves um, what he knows of God, I think, just from his spirit, uh, he said, no, it's all right. Um, 
and that, that's one of the one of the things they have. They have these. That's why they are forbidden. He said we are forbidden to address God by anything except the revealed ninety nine names. So there's no confusion. So you might like to think about God as Father, but because of this potential confusion with procreation, we're forbidden to do it. It's just these ninety nine names. So it becomes interesting to hear where they're coming from. Sorry, that was. Uh, an aside it was interesting to me I'm hoping it wasn't too much of a sufferance for you let's finish off our verses Um, the spirit gives life hallelujah we need life those dear people need life Uh, all they can say is we've sinned so forgive us Uh, not change me so that I'm like you give me a new heart it's the spirit that gives life Um, the words that I speak to you actually the words that I speak to you they are spirit, they are life but there are some of you who don't believe you speaking to his disciples some of you who don't believe and Jesus knew from the beginning, you see, those who didn't believe among his disciples. He could see it happening. And the one who was going to betray him. That's why I said, he went on, that no one can come to me unless it's given to them by the Father. We read those verses earlier on. Even in the most favourable of circumstances, with Jesus there in their presence, uh, sorry, them in the presence of Jesus, him daily doing miracles, daily casting out demons, the dead raised, um, his fame noised abroad throughout the region, even in the most favourable circumstances, no one can come to me unless it's given him by the Father. In other words, unless they properly responded to the preparatory work of the Father and said, yes, I'm willing... You understand, we talked about that last week, the work of conscience and how um, God uses, yes, scriptures, how, yes, he uses the law, how he uses conscience to prepare us and see what we're made of. And this one is believing. I'm giving him to you, Jesus. And without that proper response to the grace of God, there's no way we can receive blessing. So you and I need to be careful that we don't cheapen the gospel and say, oh yeah, God will bless everyone. Father, the, God does bless everyone. He makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on everyone. He provides for us. He cares for us. But he will only impart life on his own terms. He, he, he can't have. Do you remember that um, when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, they were cast out out of the paradise and they weren't allowed in how, how did, what step did God take to stop them getting back in he set an angel with a flaming sword in the way so they couldn't get in lest they should eat of the tree of life in a, an anti-God state and the only people the only spirit that is going to be admitted into eternal life the only spirit that's going to be admitted into the kingdom of God into the family of God is except you become as little children Father I don't know anything I need you to teach me Father I need you to give give me everything I've got no opinions a little child uh, just show me just teach me I know nothing Uh, together with Repentance. Do you understand? He won't give his life. He will not impart eternal life. 
to reprobate hearts. We've got to get unreprobate. There's grace for that. We haven't got to do it by ourselves. We've got to, we've got to uh, respond dos- with docility to the prevenient grace. That's why Jesus said, bring forth works meet for repentance. Suitable for repentance. And we can qualify our obedience, our docility to the Spirit, our um, response to the drawing of the Father will ultimately, by His grace, cause us to be ready to receive eternal life. You can't come to me, Jesus said, if, it's not, if you're not being given to me by the Father. It's not to say that if we put a foot wrong, there is no forgiveness. There's grace. There's forgiveness. <laughs> but... Um, and he can change us. He can change the hard hater, the wicked man, into the one that's soft and docile and a little child. Sometimes it takes, who depends on, your, on what you like, it might take um, a cataclysm to do it. Remember, do you remember John Newton? Wicked, vile man. The things they, you know, he's a slaver. John Newton, amazing grace man. Yeah. He was, you know, he was a very, very vile, wicked man. Uh, a slaver, they cast the slaves overboard, they'd use the women's slaves as objects, they'd tie them up, he was in all that, the whole thing wicked but grace can penetrate and bring repentance so it's not that having sin there's no way out but we must bring forth fruits, works meet for repentance, we can't expect God to bless us while we continue to go headlong against him. And let's not pretend to our friends and relations, our friends and acquaintances, that we can. Oh yeah, God will do this. We've got to tell them, if you don't repent, you'll, you'll die in your sins. We might not need to use those words, but we've got to be straight with them, to be true to Jesus. Um, do you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about salvation by works, but, um, but in a sense I am, I suppose. But, uh, well, you know, I think you've got the picture. Let's, let's be careful to be faithful to Jesus in our speech and faithful to his position. Um, so, we, that's why I said, no one can come to me unless it's given to the Mother Father. 66, from that time on, many of his disciples drew back and no longer adhered to him, no longer went about with him. And you suspect that Jesus knew that was going to be the outcome. He had this great fuss at the um, parallel Passover, the feeding of the 5,000, 5, 10, 15, 20,000, whatever it was, 5,000 men, women and children. Um, he had to. And so he was purifying. And the church, the incipient church, the embryonic church, uh, and not letting it become infected with this runaway carnality. And he turns to his disciples. Verse 67, You don't want to go away too, do you? He asked. Simon Peter spoke up. Now, the, bang, straight away. No suggestion that he'd asked his friends. I'm the spokesman. Here's what we think. Typical Peter. Good on you, mate. Master, he said. Who can we go to? You're the one who's got 
words of eternal life. We've come to believe it. We've come to know it. That you're God's Holy One. Um, Jesus had talked about that. The words that I've spoken, the Spirit and I. And Peter says, we discovered it. You've got words of eternal life. What comes from you is life to us. We can't go anywhere else. Um, Here's an example of them having been taught of God. They've come to him. Verse 17. Well, replied Jesus, I chose you twelve, didn't I? Yeah, you all remember that? A few weeks ago. He chose them. It was literally just not very long ago. In this visit in Galilee. One of you is a devil. Um, And the suggestion is that Jesus needed to steal them against that disappointment. That he knew what was happening. He hadn't had the wool pulled over his eyes. That he whom they worshipped as God wasn't in fact fallible and foolish. So he's slipping in there. I know what's going to happen. It's only going to be 12 months later and this man Judas was going to accuse him. Instead of responding to the overtures of the Spirit in his life he and hating his life, he loved it and lost it. I like it as it is. Don't you touch my life, God. That's the essence of rebellion. That's, that's Isaiah 14. My life. Get, off, get your hands off it, God. If we go with God, we're going to change. You know that, you know that him take my life and let it be? It's not how it goes. If God takes your life, he won't let it be. How does it go? It properly goes, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That there is no Christian position. Take my life and let it be. No way. That's not Christianity. And that was what Judas wanted. Yeah, I want to have you on my terms. Don't you touch my life. I'm going to stick with my aspirations, my ambitions. I'm going to stick with... Be careful, beloved ones. Um, You and I, we need to walk carefully, like little children. Be led. Be disciplined by him. Receive his word. Receive his discipline. Um, Let him change us. Who are we going to? I chose you twelve. One of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. He was one of the twelve. And he was going to betray him. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He was still up there. He didn't want to go about in Judea. Because the Judeans were after his blood. And his time hadn't yet come. Twelve months later, he was going to be down there. And his time had come. He delivered himself into their hands. Uh, that's the end of chapter 6, and the first verse of chapter 7. Shall we pray for a moment? Come on, let's just open our hearts to the present risen Saviour whose words are life.